Hey, welcome to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. So glad you could join me. Whether you're on the road listening via your cell phone or you're on your PC, your laptop, or your tablet, doesn't matter. Hope you're using them all. Just drive safely out there. Great podcast in store for you today. Covering some quality of life issues on the road. The hose knows. How do you store your freshwater hose? We'll get some advice on off-grid camping for newbies from an expert in the subject. And how to hack the campground reservation system from another pro. Our debate this week is about size. Does it really matter? When it comes to your RV, that is. The ongoing debate will fuel it just a little bit with your opinions and some data. And then don't go away because we'll tour the new Safari Condo Alto right at the factory from the builder and president of the manufacturing company. Oh boy, I am sure having a great time and appreciate all your feedback from our inaugural episode last week. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, appreciate your suggestions and ideas. You can always reach out via the podcast page at rvtravel.com or just call me, leave a voicemail, 541-382-1726. Around here, our RV lifestyle is, uh, is in cleanup mode. Can you relate? You know, I, there's a correlation. I'm going to start a study. For every day you're on the road, it takes two days to clean up afterwards, at least at our house it does. Maybe because we take two dogs along and, um, well, we do some pretty active stuff out there. So, yeah, we're, we've shoveled out all the big pieces and we're down to the scrubbing uh, phase after our 12-day experiment in uh, what some people would consider to be snowbirding. We drove south and everything worked out great there, except... You know, once again, and how many times have you done this? You've looked up and realized that that ceiling vent was broken. Darn. Two on this rig. Not two on the same trip, but two in a year. Frustrating. If you got any suggestions, I know, you know, I know you're supposed to close it, and we do, and maybe it was just an old one, maybe it was just a weird material, but whatever it was, if you got any suggestions as to how to minimize my broken ceiling vents in the future, Please make some suggestions. 541-382-1726. Speaking of suggestions, RV care and maintenance, I guess I'll call it, and even management seems to be a very hot topic on our RV advice Facebook page these days. I'm going on there and learning all I can, asking a question once in a while. This one really hit home because we had the debate not a week ago at our house. You know, you take your fresh water hose off, whether you're going home or you're moving to another place. You roll it up for easy storage. Do you close the two ends together? I do, but I never gave any thought to why. It just makes it neater and tidier, and if there's any water in there, it's not going to spill. But Mike Brenner asked the same question on Facebook a while back. And boy, did he get a great variety of suggestions and ideas from everybody, including Larry and Bonnie Robertson. They always leave theirs unconnected 
so that unwanted contaminants don't get in there. I get it. It's kind of like a Petri dish when you close the two ends. Steve Kite says a campground water has probably been chlorinated, so the hose is disinfected when you use it, and any water left in it, should you close it, is sanitized. Robert Huff says they connect theirs for the same reason I do, keep all that other stuff out of there, whether it's bugs or gunk or dirt or road dust or whatever. Never had any trouble after 30 years, but Robert says mold could be a possibility in warmer climates. I guess so if you just leave it in there for the summer or something. Bobby Mormon uh, goes a step further and says he puts an ounce or so of bleach in the hose after he coils it up, then he closes it. Oh, I bet, yeah. And that should do it. Tim McLeod, well, Bobby, actually, thank you, because you conclude your suggestion with safe journeys. And I wish the same to everybody out there. Tim McLeod takes buckets and stores his uh, freshwater stuff in one with a lid and his gray water stuff and black water stuff in another different colored bucket. Closes them both up and then all of a sudden everything is hunky-dory and pretty safe. Well, that's the kind of stuff that happens at RV Advice the Facebook page, you can get to it from rvtravel.com. All sorts of great topics and wonderful suggestions from everybody there. So if you haven't gone on to the Facebook pages yet, go to rvtravel.com, click on resources, and then click on Facebook pages or Facebook groups or something like that. You'll find something of interest for all of you there. There's about two dozen different subject areas. Find one you like, poke around, ask to join, and uh, then get involved in the discussion. Always civil, always courteous, and always helpful. Thank you, everybody, for participating and looking forward to getting more feedback from you as the podcast grows and grows and grows. All right, so enough from me. And, by the way, from all of you on Facebook who did contribute to that last discussion, let's get to the phones. Um, you know, there are 10,000 articles at rvtravel.com, and Gail Marsh is one of the authors of many of those articles. Gail, welcome to the RV Travel Podcast. Thank you, Scott. Great to be with you. And ditto. It's fun to talk with you. Um, I'm going to say on the air because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an old radio guy, so I still think of it that way. And this is uh, for everybody's benefit. This is kind of like talk radio for the 21st century, a podcast. So just think of it that way. Gail, pet peeve of mine and maybe yours too, and that's why we're going to ask. Uh, we're going to talk about driving friendly in the article you wrote for RVTravel.com. But before we do that. Let's dispense with some of the formalities. What kind of RV are you running these days? We have a fifth wheel um, that we've had for just about uh, six months is all. So our, our last RV was destroyed in the derecho windstorm that hit Cedar Rapids, Iowa last summer. So we got a different one, and so we're on the road with that. From where are you talking to us? I'm talking to you from Pacific, Missouri. It's a suburb of St. Louis, about 30 miles outside St. Louis. 
I have a hunting buddy and fan of my TV show there. Hello, Don. Maybe you're listening right now. <laughs> well, good for you, and, and and good luck with the relatively new RV. And and I I know how it feels to have an RV destroyed. I hope you weren't in it when all that happened. Nope, nope. Everybody survived except the RV. So good. We're good. Okay. <laughs> all right. So so all of us are guilty of this or have been the victim of somebody who does not drive friendly. And the reason I wanted to talk with you is we may not even know it um, either way, but mainly if we're the offender, we may not even know it. Tell me, why did you, why did you think this was worth talking about in a, in an article? Well, you know, it seems that um, as soon as you get behind the wheel, you have kind of a sense of anonymity. And I think at times, that anonymity makes us maybe say and do things that you'd never even consider doing if you were face to face with the person. But because you're inside a, um, a, a vehicle, you, you feel okay about, about maybe being uh, a little bit less than socially appropriate. You mean kind of like Facebook? <laughs> yeah, kind of like, yes, exactly. <laughs> there ought to be a law. You have to have your real photo and you have to use your real name when you get into an online political debate. Right, right. Uh, like that'll happen. Yeah, so so uh, with that in mind, you've given us some guidelines, if you will, and, and, and you've delivered them in a very kind and friendly way. But what are some of the, the biggest offenses we commit? Well, I think, for one thing, not knowing exactly where you're going. And so an RVer, and you've maybe been behind them as well, you you know that he's not sure of himself because he slows down, he signals but never turns. Um, that kind of thing is uh, problematic for everybody, and I think it gives RVers kind of a a bad rap when usually we're the most friendly, easygoing people there are. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm, gl I'm glad you said it the way you did because I thought philosophically I never know where I'm going. But <laughs> but you mean literally. <laughs> literally. Okay, yeah. so, so, and I get it. I've I probably been there and done that as a driver as well. But, you know, is there anything we can do about that? Yeah, you know, uh, with the tools that we have today, especially Google Maps or, or other apps of that same nature, um, we can look ahead. I mean, even the night before, you can uh, go to Google Maps and maybe go down to the street level um, part of it, and you can see the intersections where you're going to need to be making some turns. You can kind of give yourself a heads up before you actually get there, and it's really been helpful for us. Oh, and me too. In fact, I've, I've got another one that I really like now. It, 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 it's more for uh, off-road travel, if you will. But uh, uh -huh. oh, great idea. You know, be prepared. And preparing right. means planning, and that means looking at those places. I love that. What, what about another one of your worst, uh, yeah, yeah, some of the, uh, the worst nightmares on the road? Well, um, I guess it's paying attention. A lot of times you can tell that an RV driver is a bit distracted and maybe you're going through a, uh, a scenic spot or uh, a spot that has uh, unusual uh, 
side attractions and uh, the RVer will slow down or um, stop even along the side of the road. And it can really be a hazard for people who are around them and behind them especially. Yeah, we have uh, the town I live in has um, roundabouts, uh, traffic circles. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and, and and actually I had to once had to really take some uh, definitive action to stop an accident. But there will be people going in, they're in the roundabout already, and they'll stop to let you into the roundabout. Yes. And uh, that, that it could be a real problem. But uh, I know, uh, you know, I, I'm writing a magazine story about Yellowstone right now, and we've all heard of the bear jams and the elk jams and Yellowstone. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's going to get mad enough to go around you. And then exactly. it, uh, the stuff hits the fan. That's right. That's right. Well, how about some more greatest hits in that area, just so that we are slightly more aware of our, uh, what I call them, our shortcomings? Right. Well, I think uh, it's important to know your RV. I had quite a few comments about um, a left-hand turn. And what I intended to to get across to my readers is that if you're attempting a a left-hand turn, you need to make sure that your entire rig can clear the intersection before you head into the intersection. I had several people comment, oh, I hate to be behind the RVer that just sits there and waits. You've got to pull into the intersection a little bit so, you know, when it comes, your, you, you can, right before the uh, light turns red, you can, you know, make your turn instead of sitting there for uh, green light upon green light. But what I was mainly concerned about is uh, being aware of the length of your RV so that when you do make those turns, you're out of the way of the cross traffic once the light changes. Yeah. You know, um, uh, everybody jokes about it in the RV world. Uh, don't let your spouse help you back it up. Well, <laughs> well, we can't even get that far because my wife and I have differing opinions on where you should be when you're trying to make that left turn. Are you out far into the intersection? Are you just barely into the inner or you're still way back behind the double white line but uh, any others that people have uh commented on that means it it resonates with them well i had two different people comment uh that uh people are not obeying the speed limits and i thought well i'm probably guilty of that myself but she said the one gal especially said she had driven in almost every state in the union and no one except herself <laughs> actually obeys the speed limit. And when you're driving an RV, I think it's probably really important that you uh, stay within the guidelines so that you're able to stop. I think that's the main thing oh. to be able to control your vehicle. Oh, amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're I, I'm lucky enough to spend a lot of time in the upper Midwest where you can drive 80 miles an hour and not get a ticket which probably means 84 and a half miles an hour and right and, right you know I, I just will not pull anything if i'm going to go that fast i've learned the hard way ask me about a off-ramp in wyoming someday <laughs> yeah i can imagine well of, of all of the of all of those that you wrote about and have since learned about with the feedback uh, on your rvtravel.com piece What's your, what is your biggest pet peeve personally? 
probably signaling. Yeah. Um, either not signaling far enough ahead or signaling too far ahead. And there were quite a few comments about what's the appropriate distance before you begin to signal. <laughs> and so that's been very interesting to me. But again, I think it depends on the speed at which most of the traffic is traveling, uh, how how long your RV is, how long it takes you to stop your RV or slow enough to make a turn. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that would be it, you know, wondering, well, are they ever going to turn, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I might echo that as well. That's a good one and a good one to cap it off. If you want to read the whole piece and it's, it is well worth it. Believe me, I'm not going to lecture you here. But you will feel like you've been lectured in a good way. If you go to rvtravel.com, just look for Gail's article there. Drive friendly. I hope we're all doing it. And if we're not, maybe we'll do it uh, a little bit. Thanks to this gentle nudge from Gail. Gail, thanks so much for being a part of the RV Travel Podcast. Have a great day in Pacific, Missouri. Thank you, Scott. You as well. And thanks for having me. You're welcome. And uh, one of the things that you could do uh, is keep your generator use to a uh, minimum. But when you need it, you want it to power up the things that you need, including probably an air conditioner once in a while. And if you're like me, you didn't buy a big enough generator for that. And so now what? Well, the good news is softstartrv.com is where you go to learn more about this little gizmo. I'm looking at the box right now, and uh, we'll be going through it together in consequent episodes of the RV Travel Podcast, but softstartrv.com slash RV Travel. Learn more about this little device that will allow you to use your air conditioners with your 30-amp hookup and the generator that's running that. You know, like I do, that there's only a certain amount of capacity you can carry with 30 amps. And if you're off grid and trying to run everything with a generator, well, there's no hair dryers. There's no microwaves. There's no hair curling iron. Sorry. Honey, I'll make it up to you later. Anyway, um, the power will not get that air conditioner started. But once it's started, you can run an air conditioner or more on your little generator, Soft Start RV does exactly that. It serves as kind of a, you know, a, an amped up starting point so that your generator can power your air conditioner. Like I said, learn more about it at softstartrv.com slash RV travel and tell them rvtravel.com sent you. Yeah, if you haven't figured it out yet, you should know by now that this is the RV Travel Podcast uh, brought to you in part by RVTravel.com. Hey, become a subscriber. That way you'll get a daily newsletter and then on weekends even more. And in there somewhere, I can guarantee you, is something you need to know for fun, profit, safety, or to keep your marriage on the right track. <laughs> Oh, pardon us. We're, we're just having fun off mic here. <laughs> the, that, the other laugh is Dave Helgeson. You'll meet him in just a moment. Um, this is the chance for us to learn a little bit about something we've always been intrigued with. And in this case, it's boondocking, even if you've never done it. 
Dave Helgeson joins us. His family has been in the business for generations. And yeah. uh, and he's just back from his last adventure. Dave Helgeson, welcome to the RV Travel Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Scott. And sorry about that last glitch. Uh, uh, it happens. Those are the things that we can fix, and that's good. Uh, uh, tell me, you were just out doing what we're talking about. Where'd you go? Well, we went over to eastern Washington, um, probably 100 miles from my home near Seattle. And we went out shed hunting for dropped antlers from deer and elk. Give us a chance to get out in the woods, stomp around, and being that the sheds are dropped on public land to be forest service for state wildlife land, we just pick a spot to boondock on those areas for our base camp and head out our, on our daily adventures from there. Nice. Uh, it's some of my favorite country over there, by the way. Um, there's a certain stream I can't name on the air that uh, that is certainly worth a little fly fishing trip next time you're over there. I'll tell you about it some other day. In the meanwhile, what are you taking when you're going out there? What's your rig for boondocking? Well, our rig is a 27-foot travel trailer. Uh, you know, it's mainly a spot to, to eat and sleep and get out of the weather. Uh, it's hooked to a a Toyota Tundra with an eight-foot bed. And the reason I mentioned the bed length is, you know, many trucks are much shorter beds these days. We also take with us in a dual-sport motorcycle and an ATV that can both go in the bed of the truck as well as a, a cargo uh, box I made to hold, hold fuel and other supplies for the machines. And I liken it to the lunar landing. When we, we boondock, we typically will drop the trailer off not too far from an asphalt service. In this last case, we are a couple hundred yards from I-90. Uh, so we drop the trailer and we then take the truck and machines in deeper quite often. And when it gets too rough for the truck, we have the dual sport motorcycle and the ATV we can offload. We're legal and ride. And when it gets too rough for those, we can set out on foot. So we just drop pieces of our, our rig <laughs> as we go. So. You know, I, I've got a new electric, it's not new, but I, I never use it hardly. I have a little electric motorcycle I was given for the TV show. And in, I, I've always worried about leaving it somewhere and then going beyond it. Do you do anything in particular? Just, uh, I'm being selfish here, but tell me what you do to secure your motorcycle when you abandon it. You know, not, not a lot. Most like-minded people you find out in the, the Tule Berries, are like-minded and honest, um, but if we feel threatened, we'll put a cable between it and the tree, or I'll cable the, the motorcycle and the ATV together. More remote areas and rural areas, we'll just pull the keys and leave, sure. leave them there. Nice. Well, uh, let's get to the subject, and, and the reason I'm uh, kind of obsessing about dry camping these days is uh, because the other trend is can't get a reservation at our, you know, my tried and true campground. The Forest Service guys won't even answer the phone or whatever. So what are the, what are the biggest concerns you think a newbie to boondocking should have? Well, that's, that's a great question. As you pointed out, parks are getting harder to get into. So, um, you know, the biggest concern is, is most RVers think they have to plug into a shore power outlet every night to camp and that is totally false uh, the, your rv is meant to be self-contained uh it's, it has its own water it has its own battery um but people don't manage their electricity very well and they don't understand it very well so with a little understanding and some extra equipment battery wise you can stay out multiple nights without being hooked up to shore power or water or sewer 
There are some things, some adjustments you have to make. Uh, and I've joke about it at our house because, you know, you can't run your hair dryer unless you've really worked hard at it. Uh, and you're certainly not going to be able to power an air conditioner most of the time unless you have that soft start RV. But uh, are there any, you know, critical things that really are a problem when you're boondocking like that? You know, I've been doing it so long. It's, it's all second nature now. And I, I always think, well, what's the problem? But it's mainly, I tell people, it's, it's all about on the electrical side or battery side. It's, it's amps out and amps in. And there was yeah. power out and power back in. So just imagine your batteries as a bucket. You pour some out. And, you know, obviously, if it gets empty, you're done. But you've got a way to pour some back in. And that's typically done by solar or battery charger. And, of course, you want to plug the holes in that bucket, which are things that you may not realize your RV is using, like, little electrical loads for the gas detector, the stereo. Some refrigerators have a little heat strip in them. It's supposed to keep condensation down that are fairly, they all nibble at your power supply. You need to understand where those are, what they are, and how big they are. How about on the other end, speaking of filling buckets, um, we were worried for years and years, and, and our current RV has massive tank capacity, fresh and gray and black. But a lot of people, I think, are afraid that they're going to fill up all of those in a weekend. Right. And, and if you get a large family and you're showering them every day, you could possibly fill your gray. Uh, you know, again, that's, it's all about management. Our current RV has a 60-gallon water tank. Uh, there are several manufacturers that made the floor pan we like, but only one that offered the 60-gallon tank. The rest were 40s. And for us, that was a major deciding factor because, obviously, the more water we have, the longer we can stay out. And again, you want to manage, but you don't want, want to be in there taking a 10-minute shower. And there are ways to manage your gray water. One of the biggest I tell people is to catch your dishwater in a, a dish uh, uh, in a, a tub. Dish pan. Yeah, yeah, and and most everywhere it's legal to water a thirsty bush outside your RV in the boondocks with that dishwater. Yeah. Now, uh, I I've also thought about that very subject at the other end of that transaction down where the, you know, you pull the knife valve and everything comes out. Uh, that's a little less uh, welcome in most places, isn't it? it? Dumping gray water is getting more restrictive than it was. 10 years ago, I could show you probably half dozen federal sites, BLM or Forest Service state land where they, they welcomed the gray water, especially in, in areas of California and Southern Nevada within a drought. They understand it's no different than it would be leaching out of a septic system. Uh, they welcome it. It's getting tighter. There's still spots it's uh, it's allowed, but it's better to do it before it actually becomes gray water by catching it in the dish pan, dish water, or using your outside shower for purposes that are legal to clean stuff. All right, we're gonna we're gonna uh, cap this part of our lifetime discussion, which is just getting started here, with your one piece of advice to to people who are, have have traveled in RVs for a long time, but have never dipped their toe into the water of dry camping or boondocking. What, what would you tell them to encourage them to try it? Well, you know, I, I do a seminar called boondocking 101 and I end it saying, you know, your RV was, is a self-contained unit. Why not use it the way it was designed? I mean, kind of wake people up to realize it's, it's meant to be, be used for dry camping or boondocking. And there's just a lot of fear of, of pulling the plugs or, or not plugging in and doing that. And I encourage a lot of people, if it's, if it's legal to, or you can park your RV driveway at home, start there. Go to a full hookup RV space and unplug for 10, 20, 30 hours. See how long you can make it to make yourself comfortable that, hey, I can do this. I love it. 
I love that idea. You could even do it in your own driveway for that your matter. Own, your own driveway, yep. There you go. Dave Helgeson, if you want to learn more about what Dave thinks and how he does it and get some more tips, he's got a string of stuff at rvtravel.com. Dave, thanks so much for joining us on the RV Travel Podcast. Thanks for having me, Scott. And don't you go away. We got a lot more to talk about here. It is. Oh, we're on the downhill side, but just barely. We got some tips from a guy who knows of what he speaks, former KOA administrator, among other things. Uh, and we're touring that RV right at the factory. It's all coming up on the RV Travel Podcast. First, quick message from cargenerator.com. Speaking of boondocking, dry camping, or whatever you want to call it, if you need just a little extra power, car generator dot com is where you'll learn all about getting ac power from your rig not even from a big bulky heavy smelly generator you just connect that thing to the battery on your tow vehicle for example or even your toad if you ha have one and power all sorts of stuff it'll kick out seven to ten amps of power alternating current power so you can plug in your electric razor or hair dryer whatever else just manage that seven to ten amps and you're good to go literally so get more information at cargenerator.com okay all i'm going to say is this guy is the ultimate snowbird he's talking to us from the lanai at his home in hawaii mike gast welcome to the rv travel podcast don't hate me because i'm smart <laughs> uh and, and you've paid your dues i mean you d deserve it and uh, you know uh, for the most part you are an RV traveler and you live the lifestyle, but how'd you get that motorhome over to Hawaii without getting wet? <laughs> well, I've, I've, uh, I've done my, my lifetime of, of 40 degree below winters in Montana, North Dakota, uh, set in the rain out in Oregon for the years and for a newspaper career. And so you're right, I've paid my dues and uh, you don't see a lot of, you don't see a lot of our things over here because they, they really don't have a place to camp other than tents. So it's uh, it's a little bit separated from normal, but it's it's pretty darn nice. Well, good for you, and congratulations. You're living the dream, and, and we can at least live it um, somewhat uh, vicariously through you. But, you're, you know, you your last life, your, your, your most recent professional life was uh, working at KOA, Campgrounds of America. Mm -hmm. If If... You just come out from under your rock that is a gigantic chain of uh, individually owned campgrounds all over the, I don't know, Mike, all over the world? Uh, it's it's North America, U.S. Okay. and Canada right all now. Right. Uh, all right. we, we used to have about five or six in Mexico, but but uh, that kind of died off about 15 or 16 years ago. Okay. And now it's just uh, U.S. and Mexico. And they've got 525 in the U.S. and Canada. And you're, you're, you're still in touch with them and by the way if you hear that in the back those are tropical birds just making us all jealous <laughs> um, but mike you you've seen and done it all uh with koa and and uh, one of the biggest issues we're facing these days is hey i want to go to the koa in sheridan wyoming uh, but they don't have any they don't have any room for me 
or I want to make sure that they have room for me. So I want to plan ahead because everybody else is planning ahead. I mean, in a nutshell, um, what is the, is that really the problem or is it more a perception? It's a little bit of a perception, a little bit of reality that Campgrounds of America started taking real-time reservations on their reservation system 10 years ago. They were the first ones in the market to do that. And they saw this, this wave of need because the campgrounds really started filling up, especially on the weekends and certainly on those holiday weekends. And so people were clamoring to be able to make reservations online. And so they've been doing it for, for over a decade now. And, uh, and again, prior to the pandemic, it was, it was getting tight. There was, the weekends pretty much on, on at least KOA campgrounds were pretty well filled before the season started in May. Uh, the summer season would start. And it, uh, so it really became a necessity to make those reservations if you were going to be going to a, a campground in the summertime for a weekend. And then uh, COVID hit last year. The campgrounds were pretty much out of business for most of March, April, and part of May before the states started changing the rules and allowing people to get back outside again. And boy, did they ever. Uh, there was a wave that hit. And it. Uh, uh, talking to a lot of, of KOA owners, their biggest problem was they were no longer getting a day off. Mm -hmm. They were up. They were up with the campers first thing in the morning, and they weren't going to bed until the last camper had snuffed his campfire out at night. So there were long days. Uh, they were full. Several of them were full 100% every day from mid-June until they closed, typically in, in the end of September or October of the seasonal parks. And so they were, they were extremely busy. Again, KOA lost almost two and a half months of, of camping, and they still finished the year within 1% of being a record year, which was 2019. Wow. So you can imagine how much more camping was going on. And uh, the, KOA is big on, on surveys, and they've gone out and done several science, scientific surveys regarding this. And they found that in 2020, 26% of their overall campers were brand new, first time they'd ever gone camping. So 26% of the campers they saw last year were new, more than a quarter of, of them were new. And half of those said that they anticipated keeping it up. So that just immediately, in the course of one year, uh, added a quarter more campers to the mix. So yeah, camping is tight on, on campgrounds, not just KOA, but yeah. everybody out there. Okay. So you scared the hell out of me. So what are we going to do about that though? If we've got a rig, whether we're brand new to this world or we're seasoned RV travelers, what are some of the things we can do to ensure that we're actually going to find a campsite at a KOA or anywhere else for that matter? Well, some of it is a, is a mindset shift, I think, on the part of RVers. You can lament the days when you could leave a campground at 10 o'clock in the morning and not quite know where you were going to end up because it was safe to just spin the wheel. And whenever you got tired or you decided this looked like a great spot, you could pull in and be pretty well assured that you had a spot. And that was probably 20 years ago or more. And uh, that's that is just over for the time being it's you know the inventories certainly are tight uh so if you've got if you know where you're going to be going and you can feel comfortable booking those dates the sooner you do that the better and i think this is going to be the year when we really get a feel for how the future looks because there's a lot more campers that are out there uh 
the RBIA, the Recreational Vehicle Industry Association, reports that they're they're setting records every month for the amount of factory shipments they're doing. So these things are still rolling out the door. So, uh, so should should we be uh, calling first thing in the morning when we're headed out, or should we be calling the night before? Is there is there a certain time of day when we're going to get luckier than other times? The absolutely best way is to stay on on. Uh, on the internet, if possible, I mean, KOA, all of these companies have good websites that, that have booking engines on them. So you can see what your options are. You can see what type of sites you're looking at. Uh, you can book what you want, when you want it. Uh, and the fastest way is to do it online. And uh, several of them, most of them, KOA included, have really good apps that work right off your phone. Right, so right. a huge percentage of these are coming right off their phones. So you don't have to you know, stop, stop the rig, find your Wi-Fi, and, and play that game with your, with your laptop. You can certainly do it right off your phone cleanly and clearly. Nice. And if you have any questions, you can still call the campgrounds, but the most efficient way is to, is to book it online. And when we're making reservations, you know, you're just making me more jealous with every tweet over there. <laughs> uh, um, feel free while I'm asking the question to have another sip of your Mai Tai also. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is the biggest besides timing and besides not using the right technology? Is there anything else we you see and you saw when you were at KOA that that would help us if we didn't do something? Whether it's not we forgot to tell the correct size of our rig or we forgot to remind uh, remind the operator that we have a towed vehicle or anything like. What is the biggest mistake we make in that world? Uh, sometimes it's, it's going into those sites not knowing what your what your options are. Mm-hmm. If if you know that you'd really like uh, the fanciest site the campground has, a patio site with a grill and a hard surface patio that could be you know 250 square feet, and you really want that luxurious experience, but you're willing uh, on certain nights because you're not you're going to pull in late and leave early, that all you need is the minimum. You might not even be that interested in dumping your tanks that night, so you can get away with the water and electric, for instance. Know what your options are going in, because most of these sites, these reservation sites, will will ladder you down that through that information. And if you uh, don't need the the highest cost, most fancy site they've got, know that in advance so that as you're booking, you can you can have that option to say I can get by with a water and electric tonight because I'm only get stopping overnight and continuing on my way. You now, go. if you if you if you reach your destination and you really you must have that uh, that patio site, that just makes it uh, makes it more urgent that you book earlier as you can, and uh, and also don't give up if you feel like you've been blocked out because one of the things that happens with folks that are making their reservations as early as they are now is there's cancellations. People do cancel. You can call the campgrounds and say, put me on your wait list uh, for a certain date. And that way, at least you'll be notified if something opens up that, that meets your specifications. And, and yes, it, it's, it is important to know also going in that you, uh, what your must haves are. If you absolutely have to have a pull through site, and you need it to a certain length because you, maybe you don't want to don't want to unhook the tow vehicle that night. Then know that going in, so you can give them all the specifications. And most of them will ask that as you as you go down through the process. Uh, and also, it's 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 good to know what your price points are. 
mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this this really is a supply and demand business and I don't know what's going to happen this this summer with that because anytime demand goes up uh, prices will follow yeah uh, just like a hotel uh, what what do they Absolutely. call it in that it's dynamic pricing yeah, it's it, and you know, folks that lament the fact that I can't just show up anymore and get the site I want, you know, think of it like uh, what would happen if you walked up to the Delta Airlines counter in the airport and said, I want to buy a ticket. Uh, I don't even know if they'd be able to know how to sell you that at the counter anymore. It's it just isn't done because everybody books. You're not going to plan a trip and assume that they have a seat for you on the airplane. There you go. You're, you're going to book in advance. So that's that's the way it goes. How, when's the last time you just, with a, unless you had a breakdown, showed up at a hotel and said, where's my room? You have a reservation. I mean, that's that's the first question. Heck, it's it's getting hard to even find your favorite uh, your favorite table at, at a at a restaurant anymore without that reservation. So it's the way of the world. As more and more people uh, starving to get outside find their way outside it's just going to be a little bit more crowded. And unfortunately it takes a lot longer to add a, to build a new campsite or a, a new campground than it does to build an RV. So there's going to be a lot more RVs coming out there that are going to swamp the available inventory at a lot of locations. That's uh, that's words to live by. Those are words to live by. Mike Gast, formerly KOA, still doing work in that world and enjoying the life over there, at least for a while on Hawaii. We're all jealous of you, Mike. Thanks for the tips. If you folks would like to learn more about Mike's thinking and get the advice that he's got to offer, check him out at rvtravel.com. He started to write for us there as well. Mike, aloha. Mahalo and talk with you down the road. Absolutely. We'll be we'll be back someday. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Oh boy. You know, that's one of those guys that can make you really jealous really fast. Mike, thank you again. We'll be talking more, my friend. In the meanwhile, don't go away because size does matter when it comes to your RV, at least. That's what the data tells us. I'm going to share some of the survey information and then your comments as well. But first, just a quick reminder, the RV Travel Podcast is brought to you in part by America's Mailbox. If you've been playing with the idea of full-timing and you're trying to figure out how to get your bills paid, get your mail, collect packages, minimize your insurance and your tax obligations, go to America's mailbox.com and learn all about how Don Humes has solved those problems for all of us. Need a home base? You need somewhere to um, have your mail delivered, forwarded to you wherever you are? That's what they do. They'll even help you with registering and renewing your registration on your rig. Hey, if you can keep me out of that dang line at the DMV, I'm all over it. Do a favor to you, your spouse, and your RV. Visit americasmailbox.com and learn more about how all that works. Yeah, I'm kind of a geek when it comes to this stuff. Data, market research. Only when I enjoy it, though. Editor Emily Woodbury at RVTravel.com asks 
a survey question almost every day. And this one really got me excited because the comments were so exciting as well and hilarious. Do you wish your RV were five feet longer or five feet shorter? Well, here's the raw data. I'd like an additional five feet, say 16% of the respondents. I wish it were five feet shorter, say another 15%. And just like Goldilocks, for 69% of us, it's not too hard, it's not too soft, it's just right the way it is. But the comments are always, you know, like they say, the devil is in the details. Tony says, actually about 18 inches longer would be just perfect. John Koenig says, the space my Super C is uh, occupying now is enough to keep me from getting cabin fever, but not so big that cleaning is bothersome. Yeah, maybe I ought to look at the shorter one. Skip says, 26 and a half is plenty. And get into parks, lots of space in the basement, any more and the gas prices, the gas costs would go up. Any small, I'd, any smaller, and I'd have to sleep outside with the three dogs. I thought I had a trailer full. Uh, Rich says, we've been five feet shorter, which is why we are now five feet longer. Robert Cordy says, every year, every year, the older I get, my RV gets two feet longer. Okay, and are you a fan of Doctor Who on public television? BBC. Donald Wright says, I prefer the TARDIS. Bigger on the inside than on the outside. Go watch it. You'll, you'll get it. I just love taking an inside look at some of the newest stuff on the market, including the new RVs out there. I'm kind of a gadget guy, and those are the ultimate gadgets. You are too, though. So here at the RV Travel Podcast, we're going to get an insider's tour yet again this week on one of the newest RVs on the market. Joining us from Quebec, Canada, Dominique Nadeau is the president of Safari Condo, and we're going to take a look at their Alto A2124. Well, you're standing right there next to one, so let's uh, let's walk around the exterior, and you describe, uh, let's start with that aerodynamic idea. Describe how you have coped with that challenge. Uh, yes. So as, as opposed to all our other Alto models, the A2124 is very different because it's much more angular, which might surprise uh, some, some people. Uh, we don't have a very round shape, uh, but it is kind of angular in the front. So it ends up like, like a little bit like a boat. So it's tapered in the front and then also tapered in the back, uh, which helps reduce uh, aerodynamic drag. Uh, and uh, it also has a slanted roof towards the front, which also slants back towards the rear again to help aerodynamics. You know, my, my feeling is uh, to a degree you've stolen technology from the stealth fighters and the stealth bombers that we have with all of those angles uh, for a different reason, of course, but it, it seems to make sense, <laughs> doesn't it? Absolutely, and uh, and it does work very well in terms of uh, we've done some um, virtual wind tunnel testing with the A2124, and uh, we've reduced, uh, compared to uh, a similar size of travel trailer, we've reduced by 50% the aerodynamic drag, so it's a significant difference. Uh, on top of that, we've also reduced fuel consumption by 15%. 
for for any car that tows it, which is also a, a, a significant amount. Uh, and then we've designed it for electric cars. We wanted to save energy. I guess I shouldn't say fuel. I should say energy. So it takes less energy to tow it. Oh, I love all of those things, except for the electric car part. But that's another story. Don't get me started. You, you, let, let, let's step inside because uh, the joy of this is uh, with you and a cell phone and me and a microphone, we can go through the entire rig. So open the door uh, and let's take a look on the interior. Yeah, so I'm inside right now. Great. All right. Uh, why don't you tell me what you're looking at? Uh, so as I'm coming in, uh, right to, uh, to my right, we have the dining area. Uh, which uh, is in the nose of the Alto. So it's, again, because of that kind of tapered shape at the front, it has a triangular dining table instead of a, a standard rectangular one. Um, and, uh, and so it's a seating area. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very comfortable trailer for two. And uh, if it's uh, rainy outside and you're four, you can probably manage to squeeze four around that triangular table, but it's going to be a, a slightly tighter fit. So it, it, it does have room should you need it. And we've, we've been all been there and done that. Uh, let's work our way back from the dining table, which I presume also becomes a bed of some sort. Absolutely. You're right. Indeed. So we can lower the table and then um, the backrests become the cushion that cover the table. And then it makes like a twin bed, um, sorry, a double bed. Okay. And going from there, I would bet the kitchen, the galley, whatever we want to call it is pretty close by. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to my left and kind of at the middle of the trailer, uh, we'll find our, uh, our six cubic foot fridge. Uh, we have, uh, we have uh, the right next to the fridge, we'll have the shower and toilet enclosure. Um, and then across from that, uh, across uh, kind of a, a narrow corridor, we'll have the galley, which is a counter with a built-in sink, a two burner stove, and then below, we'll have some drawers uh, and, and just more storage uh, to put your, your kitchen and, uh, and food supplies. Tell me about the finishes on the interior there. Uh, yes, so we use, uh, we use a lot of stratified uh, finish, so, um, and we use a, a very little bit of poplar plywood, um, so we don't actually have a particle board or anything like that. So we use poplar plywood because it is much lighter. It is also very resistant um, to uh, expansion should it get wet or should it, so, so it actually is very durable and very light. Um, we also use a lot of um, composite materials. So, for example, we have a lot of sliding panels, and those are made uh, of a composite, so it is actually a resin and not wood inside. Uh, so so we, we do use a lot of sandwich panels, things like that, to, to keep the weight down as much as we can. Can you... Uh, I, yeah, being kind of a newbie to the industry side of things as opposed to the consumer side, I'm looking at it. It's a very modern, clean line kind of look is how I would describe it. Um, the, the, the interior storage space all has that wood grain feel to it. But I'm also looking at modern, almost metallic finishes on some of the walls. Am, am I right on that? I know they're not metal, but what are they? 
Um, they are metals. Oh. So, uh, the al- yeah. <laughs> the, the Alto, um, all our Altos are made from, uh, aluminum sandwich panels that we, that we actually press, uh, at our factories. Um, and so basically it's two sheets of aluminum and in the center is kind of a, a plastic honeycomb, which gives the structure of the trailer. But it is a single panel piece, meaning that the floor, the walls, the roof, everything you're seeing is aluminum. So the inside finish of the trailer is actually aluminum. Wow. Well, it's beautiful and it's so light inside. Are there structural challenges to putting that many windows into a trailer that size? Um, There are some, uh, just because you do not want to have so many holes that it does affect uh, as I said, the, the, the aluminum panels uh, that, that we have. However, with the honeycomb inner structure, we actually have very strong panels. Um, and so we're able to get away with putting quite a few windows without weakening the structure of the trailer too much. Uh, and so, yes, uh, it's always been one of our distinguishing features. All our altos have a lot of windows and we always try to find ways to bring light in and bring the outside in. Um, so even on a rainy day, at least you can kind of look outside and, and feel like you, you're, you're taking in the scenery, even if you don't necessarily want to be outside because <laughs> of the, the, the inclement weather. So, yes, it's, it, it's, it's a very, uh, uh, I was going to say modern appearing, but also throwback, uh, retro appearing shape. And then I got to tell you, I don't know why, but I just love the fact that the window on the door is round. Yeah, we, we love our little portholes. So ever since we started designing the Alto, the first model in 2007 now, uh, we've always included a porthole somewhere. So, so we've always had them, um, and we do find them a little bit retro, but in a nice way. I also think it ages well, so it'll stay, uh, I think, a, a nice classic, uh, mm-hmm. that porthole window. Um, but uh, And we do have it also inside uh, because we put mirrors in the bathroom and on the bathroom door that are the same shape and size as that porthole window. Love it. All right, so we're we're out of the galley. If we're, uh, if we're, if we're walking out of the galley, we're walking towards the back end of this trailer what will we find next um so at the back we have kind of a u-shaped seating area uh so during the day it can be a place to read it's it's kind of a it it has kind of a lounge feel i would say uh and so that that u-shaped seating area is where you could read you could kind of relax you can also have a nap if you want during the day Uh, but at night uh, again you take the backrest and you can simply place them in the middle uh, of the um uh, kind of the corridor that's in between those two seats and that becomes a king size bed so at night it's actually quite fast quite easy to make the bed it also means that your main bed the king bed at the back um, does not necessitate the use of the front table so the table can also always remain set up at the front and uh, and you just have your back area for the bed boy i love that idea and the fact that you said the magic word king when it came to beds <laughs> it really got me kind of worked up you know, um, I'm going to say there's an, there's another benefit to using the metal uh, material in in the interior, and that is it almost, due to the reflection of the trailer, it almost looks like you have a second story on this trailer when the reflection is up there on the on the ceiling. 
Uh, absolutely. It's, it, you know, because of the, uh, the, the metal finish and, and the fact that it reflects light, um, it's not like having a mirror, but it does make it brighter inside. So it does feel a bit brighter and lighter, and it also makes it feel roomier. Uh, so it, uh, it does open up a space that would, you know, it's not a very big trailer. It's a 21-foot-long trailer. Um, but nevertheless, because of the materials, it doesn't feel too closed in or too, uh, too tight a space. I've never used this term in trailer design, but I think there's, whether you decided to do it or not on purpose, there's a little feng shui in there. <laughs> oh, it's just a beautiful compliment. Um, I, we uh, we are not specialists in feng shui, but I will take I will take the compliment and uh, and we do try to uh, to to keep it. Um, I don't want to say minimalist, but we want to keep it simple. We find that simple ages well, and you don't get tired of a simple design. Let's go to the second feng shui indication, for me at least, and that is the round mirror. That is next to a door or is a door. I'm trying to figure that out. Let me let, let me. But you know, you know what I mean. There's a mirror on both sides of that door, and what's inside? <laughs> So, yes, so we're back in the center of the trailer, and so that is the uh, basically the washroom. So you would have a, a toilet, shower, a small sink as well to wash your hands or, or brush your teeth in the evening. Um, it also has a small storage compartment. It's quite small, but enough to put your toothbrushes, your shampoo bottles, um, and, and, and kind of uh, those bathroom necessities. Uh, so, it's uh, yeah, it's a fully functional space by itself. Uh, it also has, uh, as an option, a small window if you want. So mm -hmm. it doesn't have to have one, but uh, but it does make some nice light during the day as well. Would I uh, be safe? Would would we would we call that a wet bath as opposed to a dry? Uh, yes, it is a wet bath. Okay, but it looks pretty roomy, and um, that's probably as important as any other aspect of that uh, of of the unit in a in a shorter trailer like that. And next to that, it looks like um, more storage up above the fridge. Uh, yes, absolutely. So there's a, there's actually quite a lot of storage above the bed in the back, all around there are cabinets up, up top at like roof level. Um, and then there is also some storage above the fridge, actually a significant storage, um, which uh, has two shelves and is quite deep. So uh, we uh, so we we have some uh, some impressive storage for clothes, for food, for everything you need, as well as underneath the bed in the back. So everything is accessible from the outside and the inside underneath the bed too. Oh, I love that idea. And I'm looking at something that seems to be more and more of an issue these days, and that is um, counter space. You've 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 risen to the counter space challenge to the what I'll call the right of the sink by extending that counter out a little bit uh, towards the um, towards the king bed. Absolutely. Well, um, the idea is to, to give a little bit more room on the counter. Um, but at the same time, when you're in bed, your, your feet are usually don't require 
too much room, just, you know, enough to clear your feet. And so that's why we, we, we allowed ourselves to extend the counter a little bit farther. And so uh, your feet are going to be somewhere around there, but it will have plenty of room. But at the same time, you know, you're, you have plenty of space for your head and, and to move around in bed, but it gives you a nicer counter for sure. As long as you don't wear your clown shoes to bed, you'll probably be okay. And same on the other side, because there's a cupboard, I, I'll call it a cupboard, doing the same thing on the other side. Plenty of foot room, but more storage as a result. That's a closet, actually. So we were trying to find a way and somewhere to put a closet. So we needed more height, and which is why it hangs over the bed a little bit lower. Still enough room for your feet, but uh, but that that storage space is a closet to hang shirts and, and coats and things like that. There you go. Yeah. The, um, and now I see. Yeah, it, it's pretty tall now that I think about it. Lots of storage in there. Lots of clever ideas. Beautiful finishes. Very modern in many ways. But like you said classic and will age well as in addition if you had to sum it up and describe kind of the mood of this this vehicle how would you describe it i would say unique and proud of it i think that's how i feel when i look at it it's um it's it's a different shape um it's a different feeling when you're inside um the rear of it is just five huge windows which makes you feel like you're really part of the outside but but it is very distinctive um and uh, and i really think it's a unique trailer and, and the people that are drawn to it uh they're very they're very proud of that distinctive look it's beautiful it's the safari condo alto a2124 um tony bartels has a uh, review at rvtravel.com you can get more details and take a look at some of the images as well it's a beautiful rig dominique merci beaucoup you're welcome thank you for having me have a good day yeah and on that note that'll pretty much put a capper on for us here at the rv travel podcast thank you so much for joining us please tell your friends Get the podcast on one of your apps, and that way you can listen to it on your phone. You can always listen to it at rvtravel.com. All the episodes, whatever trips your trigger there. Call me if you have any suggestions, 541-382-1726. If you're so inclined to support rvtravel.com and all Chuck Woodbury's efforts, feel free to donate. I'll leave you with this. Couldn't help it. Saw it on a t-shirt. Wish I'd thought of it. It might come in handy for you too. Note to spouse. Sorry for what I said while I was trying to park the camper. Because geometry is hard. Backward geometry is even harder. Hey, have a great day. I'll see you on the road. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening.